Georgie Dinkov, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Our, how our, is everybody else? Our first stream of 2021. Uh, guys, please let us know how the audio is. I changed some things around. It should be slightly louder, but I hope we're not clipping it all. Please let us know below. Okay, so you are in D.C. What is your uh, impression of what, what de- went down? Because you're straight at the source. Um. I don't know exactly what went down at, at Congress. I, I I wouldn't call it a riot or definitely not an insurrection. Um, I mean, I'm sure some of the crowd was probably like truly Trump supporters, but the main actors, I think at this point has been confirmed that they're either paid actors, right? <laughs> uh, like the guy with the Viking hat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or like um, potential intelligence assets or other government operatives. Um, but the the thing that kind of like not that it concerns me, I guess it's kind of hopeful is that regular people on the street now have this like look on their faces like, oh, my God, I just can't believe this is happening. Like, like what is going on? Like, uh, I thought that everything's fine. There's just a bunch of wackos. It, it's like it's like when somebody is being lied to for a very long time and then, and then suddenly they're presented with a situation that they can't deny is happening. It's it's almost like you, you see like part of them die effectively. Well, I w- did Trump actually incite the 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 situation because I couldn't figure out what like people. I don't think so-, so, but Giuliani did say let's have a trial by combat, oh. and now they're saying like, well, you know, that's definitely you know you incited the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's true or not, you know, if you're gonna go like pick between the two. Giuliani had more things to say that probably could be interpreted as in incendiary mm-hmm. and calling for a riot than Trump. But, I don't think Trump ever said like let's march on the Capitol. But all or, like all his critics were saying that he incited it. So I was trying to look for the clip of where that what clip they thought he was doing the inciting. And I oh, couldn't, the speech. I couldn't find the, the speech basically like uh, that he gave while the while Congress was meeting to certify the the, the uh, electoral votes. Say, well, saying the election was stolen or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But I never heard. I mean, I I, I listened to the speech. Um, I never heard of him saying anything that. I guess you know. Here's the thing: in a court of law, it all comes down to arguments. Like you can say one thing, and then the, you know some lawyer will be like, "Yes, you honor." But if you look at this precedent from like 40 years ago, the exact exact same words, you know, such and such happened, and and that, that's what it comes down to. You know, like it's just an argument, and whether the judges will buy or not. Um, so that's the problem. It's like manufacturing reality or defining what things are. Who was that guy? Uh, was it like Jerry Rubin, uh, the guy from the, like, he was like a civil rights movement actors from the sixties who said mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. power to define, uh, terms and reality is the ultimate power. Right. Um, so I'm sure in the rights of mainstream media and all of their psyop handlers, um, I mean, they can take that speech and find a million things inside <laughs> that they will say like, well, that's. You, this this means he's calling for a riot. He's not really saying it, but like that's what this means. And unfortunately, the public will will gobble it up. Um, you know, at least in DC, ninety two percent. I mean, even if the election was stolen, I think ninety two percent voting for Biden is is uh, is pretty indicative of of, of where this is well, leaning, well, which direction. Yeah, like no matter what. Uh, well, first when I was watch, I wasn't following it very closely, but I, when I was watching videos, it seemed like really tame. Like, yeah, yeah. Went to the Capitol. again, I'm not we're, we're not partisan on this show. I don't care about uh, conservative or liberal or whatever, but it seemed not like it wasn't burning a city down. You know what I mean? It was Did it you just, see the cops opening the gates and like yeah, inviting yeah, the protest. It's, it's already on Reddit. <laughs> and now Reddit is like is, is starting to chase its tail. Like on one hand, they want to say that this was like an insurrection. Mm-hmm. Right. And on the other hand, they'll be like, well, if the cops are inviting them in, like, 
you know, why why wouldn't these people go in? Maybe they just wanted to stage a protest and the cops are saying, hey, yeah, yeah, of course, come on, come on in. We're going to open the gates for you. Can you see this, by the way? Which one? Uh, see the, oh, the nerve of Maga yeah, The nerve of Maga Viking to take selfies in Congress. Do, doesn't he know that this is the sacred place of insider <laughs> trading and self-dealing? But I have seen several takes that were like, how dare they go into the Capitol? It's like such a sacred place. And I'm like... <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then, they bombed the Pentagon, man. Well, I mean, it's like well, here we go. people died, right? Well, here we go. Those More. politicians that send our children to fight and die in foreign wars, they hit the floor and cower uh, when unarmed protesters <laughs> enter the building. So again, I'm sure there's I, I, this take we have right now is not, I'm sure people have, have heard it a hundred thousand times, but, but if there was a problem reaction solution, clearly it was to tighten down on censorship or something, right? Well, I mean, it's already happening, and now, like, I'm actually concerned, and I hope the, you know, this is not going to be constru- uh, misconstrued by the censorship algorithms as somehow like threatening the president-elect or something. I'm concerned something might happen with during the inauguration um, because I really don't think that even if Biden gets sworn in as a president, I think the man is demented quite clearly, um, and, and even as a acting president, he will probably be, um, you know, spending most of the day asleep and or sedated. Um, and then other people be making decisions for him, which is not entirely novel in this country, considering that G.W. Bush was probably the same way Cheney was running things behind the scenes. But this will be like Mr. Mrs. President Kamala Harris pulling the strings. And if, God forbid, something happens to the president-elect, I, that's exactly what they need to basically like do another 9-11, right, and say – you know, I mean, what more do you need than something happening to the president? And even if it's even if it's of natural causes, they'll find a way. Did you see like that policeman who got like injured? And uh, they're saying he got injured, but he went home and he died two days later. And now they're saying they're opening a federal murder investigation. <laughs> uh, but you know, the like if you look at the local news, the guy died of heart attack, right? So they're saying now they're going to charge people with murder because they stressed that person to death, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you know that police person went home and died two days later. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say it's out of the uh, out of uh, out of the question that if something were to happen to the president elect, it will be taken and saying like, well, it's because of all of these events, and now we're gonna like uh, this this yes, he died of natural causes or like uh, he I don't know uh, something happened to him of natural causes, but you know considering the situation, there are culpable parties here, and we're going to use this this event to uh, you know remove whatever little freedom you have left. Yeah, I think a, a white Trump terrorism is clearly going to be a big story in 2021. This is from Whitney, and she says, uh, or no, this is before Congress, Alyssa worked at the CIA and the Pentagon and helped destabilize the Middle East during the Bush and Obama admins. What she says here is essentially an open announcement that the U.S. has moved from the war on foreign terror to the war on domestic terror. Again, it's just a tragedy that like people that live through 9-11 take this seriously? Like, you know, wouldn't most people you talk to, even if like liberal or conservative, acknowledge that the war on terror was mostly a complete farce, you know? And But but again, the same ideas are being used to war for, for coronavirus and now this impending domestic war on terror. Did you see that study? Uh, they basically like reached out to people, people that were interviewed on uh, 9-11 or like, or shortly after, uh, I, I'm sorry. It was about the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. So they uh, they they kept sort of the recordings uh, of interviews of I think it was like a hundred people, and and they basically now went back to them and asked them about the Iraq War. And like out of the 120 or some people, uh, all of them at the time said yes, we need to go into Iraq and like get rid of Saddam Hussein because this is part of the war war on terror. Mm-hmm. Now when they asked them. Uh, 
every single one of them said, no, I was against the war in Iraq. <laughs> and and like I actually defended, I said that this Bush is a criminal. We never need to go into Iraq. And so it's like, how do you expect people not to lie to others if they're willing to lie to themselves? And it's like, call it misremembering, call it like cognitive dissonance, right? They're trying to like keep their mental health. But it's like, if that is the case, um, you can't expect much from the average citizen on the street. Um, they'll just do whatever needs to be done at the moment. And then, you know, um, they will use, unfortunately, um, very manipulated news sources to form an opinion. Um, and um, to go back to what uh, Whitney Webb said, um, I was watching that video with her on American, uh, the last American Vagabond, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And like, at the end, just like I told you before we started recording, just like uh, Catherine Fitz, right? She mm -hmm. said, well, we need to stop participating in the system. We need to start organizing at a hyper-local level, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking... I think this is, I mean, this this sounds great, but you don't think this has been tried before? This may have worked in the 60s. These people now are little by little, uh, I mean, look at what happened to the Black Panther Party. They, it was immediately infiltrated, right? So I know Ray has been saying, like, the only chance is if if sufficient number of people organize at the local level so that they can't go and, like, compromise everybody. Yeah, but that's, like, that that is, that is the hardest problem in, in any society. How do you get a sufficiently number, large number of people to simultaneously get off their butts and start doing something, right? If you if you have a solution to that, then the empire is done. But I don't see that. And in fact, half of the population is now not only unwilling to take part in taking down the empire, they're actively hunting you down simply for having an independent opinion. Yeah, I, I heard a heartening story from a couple, I think it was in Idaho or Ohio, but they said their whole congregation, their church, like their pastor <laughs> speaks about how... Um, uh, the the immunity problem is uh, not real. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid the algorithm here, but yeah. um, but they said that their whole congregation was on the same page, and I was like, that's that's totally amazing because I can't think of anything like that. And that actually kind of speaks to why the CIA and intelligence has been so anti trying to um, disperse the the church and stuff. Because yeah. Jay, yeah. I, I inter interviewed a guy named Jay Dyer, and he's talked about how the CIA has been messing with churches and congregations like that for a long time. And so it kind of makes sense to, because that is one last bastion of like uh, communitarianism and they'd have to get yeah. rid of that. Yeah. They have to get rid of that. And, you know, and it's basically, um, what's going to say, um, hmm, damn, <laughs> I just slip off my mind. But yeah, I, I mean, I love the work of both uh, Miss Fitz and Miss Webb. <laughs> I think they're doing great work, but um, I have a sense, I have a feeling based on past experience living in a totalitarian country mm -hmm. that things like, oh, we're just going to have to organize, uh, you know, b amongst ourselves. And, you know, once we have enough people, we're going to topple the empire. The empire is not going to let you do that. <laughs> they actually, I mean, that the little freedom that we had was based on being self-sufficient, right? Um, you know, growing your own food, like having a small business and things like that. And that's what this whole... I don't want to call again the immunity problem, the immunity, <laughs> the immunity theater. That's what this whole immunity theater it targets, right? It's just sixty percent of small businesses that are closed already are are gone for good. Um, now, I mean, that doesn't mean they, that they cannot somehow resurrect themselves in a different shape or form. I mean, just because like a restaurant has shut down 
doesn't mean that like the owner and the family are screwed. They may be willing or able to start a new business after things reopen and things are, you know, the, the restrictions are lifted. But just today, there was an article on uh, um, Russia Today, mm-hmm. which many people consider fake news. It said that, I mean, it was a speech by Boris Johnson who said that th- this latest lockdown, he actually didn't give a timeline for when it would end. Um, and when they asked him, they pressed him, the journalists kept asking, like, so what's going on? You've been giving us a kind of like a tentative date, the three prior lockdowns. And now he's just saying, like, we're not going to reopen. And he just said, we will see how it goes. Yeah, yeah the locked. I know we've said this before, but those clearly have to be uh, the t- the main goal has to be to make people insane. <laughs> like there's no there's Probably. no I, yeah. I think posted. Yeah. I'm not the well, person. turn people on each other. Yeah. Have you seen the quote from Ray saying that? Um, uh, uh, lockdowns lead, uh, lockdowns are really bad because they, they make people turn on each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that by itself actually leads to social isolation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other part, which is really bad is also that normally, like in a no- normally normal functioning society, the, the professional psychiatrist almost doesn't exist. There's no need for it. You, you, uh, you channel trauma. I think that's what Ray said. You dissolve trauma through others. So you go to your friends, you go to your family, and if most of them are healthy, I mean, you go to five, six people and you, you know, kind of voice your concerns, and that's your therapy, right? And in fact, these it's better than therapy because these people care about you, right? Unlike the psychiatrist who is sitting there scribbling God knows what, like, oh, this person is deranged, uh, very heavy drugs necessary here, right? Um, I'm sure they're doing something like that, or at the very least, the psychiatrist is is looking for a way to put you on a, some some kind of a psychotropic drug because that's how the psychiatrist makes money. Um, through the sessions as well, but they, they definitely want you on some kind of a drug, um, because it makes you a patient for life. So anyway, so, so basically the purpose, I think of the lockdowns is precisely this, to turn as much as possible people on each other. Um, and if that happens, then the state doesn't have to expend, um, you know, all of these resources to track all the descent down, like your neighbors and relatives will be, will be doing that, that for them. Right. And so, something similar to this was attempted in the former communist countries like Bulgaria and, and Soviet Union. But actually, people very quickly caught on that this is this is lethal to the community and themselves as well. And actually started feeding the, the secret police like, you know, BS <laughs> leads. <laughs> oh, yeah, this person is like talking about like uh, toppling the great communist party. And then, of course, the police go and try to arrest the guy. And he turns out to be like a KGB agent or something like that. And actually, there was a, there's, a, there's a book that uh, a few top KGB agents got taken out mm-hmm. by mistake by KGB <laughs> because KGB thought these are spies because they got ratted out by, by regular folks on the street. Mm-hmm. And KGB went in full force into their... Uh, you know, hidden quarters, which they thought was basically uh, like a safe house for a resistance movement, and immediately gunned them down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, like back in the day, like the the secret police, uh, it lasted for a very short time. It was like I think in the early seventies. But several very high-profile KGB agents, like brains behind operations of you know molesting and harassing people and like tormenting them, got gunned down by their own men. Because they got they, they got swatted, but I guess the the the, the term will be like KGB added or something. Well, you make a good- somebody called the KGB and said, "Oh, over there, there is like a capitalist, like a you know, a heavy, uh, they're having a secret meeting trying to topple the system." KGB immediately went in because they they shoot first, and uh, you know you know the saying, "Shoot first, ask questions later." They don't ask questions; they just shoot, right? <laughs> so they immediately gun down everybody, and turn out they killed a few of their top very top people. 
you make a very good point. Like uh, I've heard that like the newborn, the parents act as like an extension of its stress system, you know, and but yeah. I never really thought about that in relation to adults, you know, but but that quote that Ray said, that's really true, you know, like we disperse our stress or mitigate our stress by talking to other people and uh, th- an isolated society just means that will cause even more harm just being alone. But that's, that's been happening for a long time. If you've been an outsider, or if you've been swimming upstream, but now it's even, even more so. Yeah. I kind of sensed it, uh, since, since, uh, uh, like around nine, nine 11. I mean, I was here in, in the late nineties. I came in 97 and for about three years, America looked like Kevin on earth. <laughs> Little did I know, right? Uh, but it, it's still like people weren't weren't angry, weren't suspicious. Uh, it was a different kind of America. And then as soon as I saw those those planes or whatever it was that hit the towers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like something <laughs> in those in those Americans on the street changed. Mm-hmm. Like these people basically like uh, turn into like I don't know if they were a, if they were a poodle before they turned into Dobermans. Um, and it was like really they started getting suspicious of immigrants. Uh, even in DC, which is an extremely liberal city, mm-hmm. uh, you could tell there's you could you could sense there was a change in attitude, um, and I think there was a was it like um, the, what's his name Tenet uh, George Tenet, the former mm-hmm. CIA director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He said like uh, basically like 9/11 was when America stopped being innocent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, that's another way of saying like it turned everybody into psychopaths, right? <laughs> Um, and that's pretty much it, right? I mean, and the thing is like, so I, I don't know if you remember that study we discussed in one of the podcasts, that the placebo effect is actually real mm-hmm. and it depends. It only happens. They found out that it doesn't happen all the time. So if the doctor gives you a placebo pill and says, this will help you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they actually found out that it only works if the doctor genuinely cares about you mm-hmm. and you're able to sense it. And as a result of this, there is a surge in dopamine, which course means serotonin is suppressed mm-hmm. and you break out of the learned helplessness the placebo effect doesn't work all the time and it's been one of the greatest mysteries in medicine is like why does it work in 30 percent of the people but not in the others and and one study says that it depends on the person in front of you whether your caregiver cares about you so the in the absence of the caregiver those caregivers in a normal society are your friends and your relatives right so when you go in your vent to your friends and relatives a caring person will actually listen to you do you know that now the advice of every single therapist is to avoid negative people basically like if somebody comes to you and tries to vent the, the advice from every single therapist is to immediately cut them off, immediately. And it doesn't matter how close of a relative or a friend they are. It's like you need to isolate yourself and like, okay, if there was if this was like one or two negative people in your life, okay, maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I can see some argument for limiting interaction with them, right? Uh, but you still have to, like, you can, these people don't disappear, right? So I don't even agree with that, but I can see an argument for it. But if everybody around you is like that, what are you going to do? Isolate from everybody? How is this healthy? Mm-hmm. And the response is, well, we're going to give you drugs. Yeah, no, uh, uh, some of my friends just had, uh, some of my friends just had children and I'm like, oh my God, like, I did I, I feel for, I, like having a family through all this would be an extra layer of stress just because it's, uh. So let's address the um, blackpilled thing. So my understanding <laughs> of blackpilled is kind of uh, I, I don't know the formal definition, but red pill on steroids. Yeah, is that, or, is that I think that it's I think it's the idea that you can't do anything, or maybe you're doomed, or like things are so bad. But I, maybe I'm using the term wrong. But I like we're talking and Ray's talking, and it seems like things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. 
it just doesn't seem like there's going to be some magical uprising and stop everything that's going on. But I but I could be completely wrong. I mean, as we as we discussed just before we started recording, so it's like everybody seems to be saying like, oh, if only enough people, you know, realized the, the situation and rose up together, mm-hmm. keyword here, together, mm-hmm. and a large number of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, <laughs> if you can if you can do that, then no empire will ever form. I mean, if a sufficient number of people realize how how things are and together somehow simultaneously rose up, yeah, of course, no empire can handle that, right? But now they're getting closer with technology. And I think that's one of the reasons for the push behind robotics and AI. The idea that uh, little by little, basically, like policing will probably be uh, replaced somehow by, by, by robots and AI. And these machines will probably be given license to kill on spot. And then they're going to worry about the courts later because, as we already know, most of the courts, <laughs> they're going to side with the police, as they have been doing for the last hundred plus years. Okay, so we have a, a black pill is nihilism. So, so that's not what we're doing. If, if no, I, I, don't, nothing, I mean, if I, I, I think nothing. I mean I like my version. I think it's uh, a pessimist and 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 pessimism and hopelessness are not the same thing. Um, and and pe- I don't even know why she'll be calling it pessimism. I mean, like, are you? Do you think we're imagining these things? Like, is, <laughs> has, has your life gotten better <laughs> over the last ten years? Uh, as outside of uh, finding Ray, like, do you think like you have more opportunities than your parents did? I don't think so. And I've I haven't met a single person who said my life is better than my parents. Only one person, and he's basically he inherited a trust fund. Um, and when his parents died. Uh, he's a very rich person from New York City. When his parents died, he got even more money. So that's so in a sense, you know, that's that's how this person's materialistically, he, you know, his life got better. Every single other person that I that I talk to, they're saying no. I, I mean, first of all, I'll probably never have a house. Uh, chances are, I will not have children, and chances are, I'll actually not even have a partner. Um, uh, you know, throughout life. Uh, there's this joke um, in uh, in female counseling sessions saying like the difference between a girl's mother and grandmother and her. The grandmother had like uh, a farm, six kids, uh, and a single husband. Her mom had like two kids, no farm, a husband, and four lovers. And the current <laughs> generation, the girl, she has she has no lovers, no farm, no kids, a cat, and two abortions. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think, yeah, we're, we're, you know, in the small way that we can, we're talking about it, we're being, I mean, uh, open, we're not, I I know a lot of health people, you know, in in this, they won't talk about this stuff, you know, even if I I know for a fact, some of them secretly are uh, skeptical, you know, and and I know it's like career suicide kind of to, because again, we'll probably get taken off YouTube at some point, (laughs) but, but I'm saying we're trying to, to do as much as we possibly can with our very small audience and things like that. So, um, yeah, that doesn't, I don't think that classifies as, as nihilism. So, I mean, I, th- I think the technology and the, the, the advancement of technology over the last 20 years, let's say with the internet, right? It, it has both good and bad sides, right? The, the good sides is that, that a lot more people, information spreads much more rapidly, right? Uh, and at the same time, it can be censored much more rapidly. Um, and so, so the, I think the good news is that look at this, like half of the country thinks that something is so off, right. That they're willing to stage protests and, you know, I guess <laughs> storm Congress, if it even happened by, you know, outside of the false flag, 
uh, events and like in the and the paid actors that were there. I mean, it's it's fair to say I think like the there was a huge crowd in DC and there still is. And I don't think all of them are paid actors. They seem to be generally supporting the current president. Um, and they're very angry at what has been going on. And they they seem generally convinced that there was a massive election fraud. Um, so so it's like that seems to be about half of the country. And I think the other good news is that if you look at the past elections over the last. 20 years, it has always been like that. No single president that got elected got more than, what, 55% of the vote at most, right? It's always been 52-48. <laughs> it was 50-50 in, like, uh, 2000 when it was Gore running against Bush, right? Um, and then, like, basically, like, uh, I think Obama got, like, close close to 60% when he was running against Romney. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry, when he was running against McCain. That was, like, so the first his first term. And then after Rom, Rom, uh, like when he was competing against Romney, like th that that difference, that gap was very small, like maybe five percent, um, if not less. And now we're getting the exact same thing, basically. Like, uh, well, I guess some people, some of the Trump supporters will say he had a landslide the first term, right, when he was running against Hillary. Mm -hmm. So you know, may maybe he did. We did have like an election where a president got more than 60% of the votes. But in general, seems that the country is polarized. It has been polarized for 20 years. Nothing has improved drastically for the last 20 years. In fact, things, things seem to be getting worse because now we're get, having people that are willing to storm Congress, right? Um, and, and basically now we have like uh, unemployment that was has not been seen in the last 50 years. Um, we have small businesses collapsing and all these things. So like, so it's hard to to gaslight people and tell them, oh, it's everything's fine. Half of the country will not does not buy that. Not won't. It doesn't buy that because I mean, you can't sit there and say, oh, everything's fine when your restaurant just shut down for good, or or you know your farm just just shut down for good, or you just you just got furloughed. Actually. You got furloughed while the company was getting federal help, the, your employer. <laughs> yeah. They really were planning to fire you from the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. But they couldn't. But they waited a few months, and now that all of these like restrictions on firing people are, are done, are gone, they're kicking you to the, on the street. And the only thing that I think that's preventing a, a bigger commotion is the fact that there is still a um, moratorium on evictions. Uh, if that ends, and, and I think now it's at the state level, if that ends, um, or you know when that ends, I think we're going to start seeing like a much a much bigger ba uh, backlash because um, who was that president who said that economic reality trumps everything else? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, if you have a sufficient number of people that are on the street, poor, uh, no health insurance, not that they need it because the doctors will kill you more reliably <laughs> than the disease, right? But you know. What I'm saying is that if the basic necessities for life are missing, I think that's when we're going to start seeing um, – There's what I'm trying to say is there's already an awakening for at least half of the country. But we, I don't think we're seeing yet mass concerted coordinated action. Once the proverbial crap hits the fan, I think that's when actually people will rise up almost as one because they already know the truth. Just like Snowden said, people know the truth, but they're powerless. So we and and I don't think they will become powerful over the next several months. I think they'll just become desperate enough so that uh, remaining peaceful or obedient, because uh, that's not peaceful, that's obedience, uh, will not be an option anymore. I'm hesitant to say. Do you? Uh, if we could go over it quickly, uh, I wanted to ask Ray what what happened in 2020, but I want to ask you what do you? Well, obviously, this white terrorism and censorship being. Uh, clamp down, but what do you expect to happen over 2021? What's your forecast in uh, as uh, a few paragraphs as possible? <laughs> and then we can move on. <laughs> 
Um, my forecast is that the, the basically now that they've convinced, uh, now that the powers that be have realized that the population doesn't buy the terror uh, meme anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that I think there's some truth that that they will try to to shift the the conversation towards domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. But I think like this only works if people are rich but scared, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of like. In, 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 in 2000 and 2001, this argument worked because most people were relatively well off, right? And if you tell them, oh, some evil terrorists are going to come and bomb the, the shit out of you, mm-hmm. and, you know, life as you know, will, uh, as you know it will end, mm-hmm. um, you know, people were willing to support um, politicians that were obviously lying. And in, it, people even back then knew. But there was something that these people had to lose. I don't think the situation will work that well right now, the, the same argument. So and I think the powers that be know that very well. That's why I mentioned the Boris Johnson and the indefinite lockdowns. So I think this will continue until they basically have destroyed uh, enough of the uh, of the source of income for most people. That then, if they lift the restrictions, most people will basically at the point of rioting. And at that point, the government may show up as the great savior of everybody and say, "Listen, here is two thousand dollars a month, right? If you don't riot, if you riot." Then we don't we not we're not we don't have that money, right? We cannot so if you want peace, there has to be obedience. Um sorry, if you want like if you want money, there has to be some sort of obedience, even if you know we're like we're murderers and liars and cheaters and whatnot, because otherwise we have no incentive to give you any money. And I and I think the real question is what portion of the population will swallow that bitter pill and agree to that to that uh, to that deal because that deal is it's going to start as a very benign deal as in like here is some money so you can survive but you know once you go down that road once once you c- become conditioned to not take care of yourself to not work and entirely depend on the government we're already seeing these large scale projects in countries like France if you go to southern France their places basically where there, there's there have been generations of immigrants from northern Africa that went to France, especially southern France like Marseille, um, and they basically are incapable of uh, not incapable, should I say capable, but like it's a cultural thing now to basically be on welfare for your entire life and do absolutely nothing because your parents were on welfare, your grandparents were on welfare, and life seems to be okay. It's not great, but you'll but be happy. According yes, to the world. Exactly. And you, you will own nothing and yeah, be, happy. be happy. That's what Klaus Schwab said, right? Yeah. Well, we already have that experiment in several European countries and it's not going well. Like what I was trying to say is that it's not safe to be in southern France right now. There are places in Sweden and Germany where it's not safe to be. Um, you know, you'll get attacked. Even th- so it shows that when you when you remove the sense of purpose from people's lives, even if you give them money. That doesn't really lead to anything. Um, and um, let's see how what percentage of the U.S. population or the the developed world population will buy that story and agree to be a slave, because that's really what it, what it's all about. You know, once they start you on the universal basic income, income, um, uh, some people have said, "Oh, we've we've had UBI since the '60s called welfare." It's not. There were very few requirements. Uh, well, at least in the current version for welfare, right? I mean, I think there's a, actually I don't I don't even think there's a requirement for you to work. You know, if you're if you're socially disadvantaged, and I don't know what by what formula that gets determined, you just get the housing and the allowance and whatnot. And I don't think there are any requirements that you ever move out of there. That's how we have mm-hmm. the we have the projects in the U.S. and not only in the U.S. Right? So the difference with the UBI would be. That even right now, now when they're pushing it, they're saying that it already comes with very heavy strings attached. N- namely, you have to get vaccinated. Um, no vaccine, no UBI, right? 
Um, and then you want to buy food, you have to get vaccinated, right? So there. So so uh, let's see what kind of uh, because if the majority of the population doesn't buy the UBI idea, then there are only two options: either there will be a mass riot of all of these hungry people, um, or the empire will realize that it cannot control them all, and at which point I guess the empire will collapse, or the empire will say, "Okay, they didn't buy our story. We better pull out the guns and basically like." Get rid of all of these that are not buying our story, and then the rest will, you know, will follow, you know, whether out of fear or because of coming to their senses, if you want to call it that way. Um, so I, so that's what I, my projection is that the pressure will continue until they've destroyed most of the sources of income for the middle and the low class, if there is a, if there's even middle class at this point. Um, I mean, I think most of it has already been has been decimated. And at that point, they will try to roll out the UBI, in other words, slavery. And then the real litmus test for like whether where this world is going to go is what percentage of the population buys into that. Um, if a significant amount of the population does, then I think it's game over because um, whatever little percentage of people remain independent, they will quickly get crushed and... Um, they will they will have they will have nobody to turn to because their own relatives and and neighbors and friends and whatnot they will they will have already adopted the new system. On that note, let's do a brief advertisement. <laughs> IdealabsDC.com uh, supplements made by Georgie Dinkov. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Danny Roddy. I do coaching. There's a few spots open up. I think I'll open up new email ones uh, soon. And uh, you can follow Georgie on Twitter at, I don't have your Twitter open. It's uh, uh, twitter.com slash hate it. You can follow me on Twitter, but, but you really, since the censorship is going to be coming down pretty hard, I would suggest following us on BitChute, bitchute.com slash Danny Roddy. And again, I don't know how censorship proof these places are. I'm sure they're not at all, but t.me slash Danny Roddy is the telegram and you can stay up to date. And then also there's a site called Odyssey, which I've been uploading to. But again, I just expect, uh, we were talking before the show started, somebody in the comments said that Patrick Timpone's uh, channel got deleted. Can I don't know if it's somebody in the comments can confirm that, but that, that is pretty scary because I don't really see him as some gigantic uh, pillar of health information, but I could be wrong. Maybe they've had their eye on him or something. But yeah, that or, or he got reported. Like yeah, I said, or he got reported. Now they're having like this horizontal totalitarianism. Yeah. Um, as uh, Catherine Fitz said, it's us. It's not them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they've they figured out a way to turn us against each other, and, and a lot of us are complicit into also building a lot of the tools that are being used to oppress us. Mm-hmm. So um, I agree with that, but I I don't think she she has a, a viable solution. She's saying, oh, we need to stop. Uh, helping the empire build the tools that oppress us. Mm-hmm. How would you do that? Mm-hmm. She's so saying, well, you need to, if you're working for a big farmer and creating these poisonous drugs, you need to quit and go do something else. Like uh, what? <laughs> if all you've done is design drugs your whole life, what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, I guess a percentage of, you know, of very talented and adaptable people with good me- metabolism can probably come up with another career, right? Um, it's I don't think it's a viable thing for everybody, right? Um, or she's saying like, oh, the other thing she said is like, oh, if 20, uh, if the 20 wives of big pharma executives oh, yeah. walk up to them and say like, you know what? You're disgusting. No more sex. Mm-hmm. How do you foresee that happening? I mean, like, uh, they could always uh, go to Epstein's Island. So it doesn't matter. Have you seen the movie <laughs> eyes wide shut? I mean, there was a scene there that basically that's pretty much what happened. That girl 
try to walk away and mm -hmm. <laughs> she disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, these people don't stop at, at anything. Um, the story about Barry Sherman, the billionaire in Canada, I don't know how many people remember that story. Um, you know, it was actually officially labeled as suicide and it would have, it was going to remain as a suicide, officially labeled suicide, murder-suicide, I'm sorry. He killed his wife and then he hanged himself, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then it was only after exhumation and repeated autopsies that they found out that they were actually murdered, right? Um, still there's, you know, and this person was one of the richest people in Canada. Um, so imagine what happens to a, you know, less of a, 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 a lesser visible person, like the wife of a pharma executive, right? I mean, she can very easily be suicided. She can be injected with something and then be like, oh, she committed suicide. Or, you know, look, I mean, her husband works for a pharma company. Guess what? I don't want to, I don't want to give a percentage, but like almost every, I think it's fair to say every big pharma company is in one shape or fashion involved with the deep state developing some kind of a biological weapon to be used preferably you know outside of the united states but guess what if they if they need to use it domestically i don't think they're going to bat an eyelash dark episode okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so uh, no it's not dark know, it's just, just being <laughs> it's just being uh, aired know, right just like uh, what was his name uh, will smith the actor they asked uh -huh. him like do you think racism is increasing he said no it's just getting filmed mm -hmm, yeah Okay, uh, Idealabs Tokovit giveaway. Uh, I'm going to announce the winner, but subscribe on bitshoot.com slash January. We've really, a lot of people have subscribed. I think only I only had like 100 uh, subscriptions on here, and now I have 250. So that is heartening. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, leave a comment on this episode. So immediately after this, I'll download the episode, upload it. And so uh, just wait a second and then leave a comment on that one. And then D-A-N-I-M-A-T-I-V is the winner of Tokovit. So you need to send me an uh, email at danny at dannyroddy.com. Then I'll send it to Georgie. And then we'll play a little back and forth. And then <laughs> we'll ship out the Tokovit. So appreciate it. Um, okay, that's all. Why, uh, before people kill us, maybe we should talk about uh, health stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, uh, there's some pretty uh, cool articles over the last two weeks, I guess, that, that accumulated. Oh, the one that I really liked is that um, I think that says like the endotoxin is behind the lethality of the uh, 1918 flu and the um, and the Black Death, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at some of the big arguments um, that are proponents of the current immune theater, <laughs> let's go it this way. I don't know are why using we're, we're like, being so oh, careful now. Like, Say it again? We're being so careful now, but we haven't yes, in the past. Yes, too careful, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at some of the main arguments that are being used to justify the lockdowns and everything else, we're like, oh, if we don't do it now, look at what happened in 1918. Mm -hmm. Tens of millions of people died. And, you know, like before you know it, something like the Black Death pandemic may, may be upon us. If you listen to Mr. Gates, who I'm sure will be thrilled, <laughs> or he's probably actively working on, you know, engineering some kind of like a pandemic like that, because uh, not many people know, but uh, just a few months ago, he released a company that he owns released 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes in Florida oh, yeah. to basically combat the infestation with mosquitoes that are there. How? By these mosquitoes are sterile, and they're basically they're going to outcompete the uh, the fertile individuals. And before you know it, there'll be no more no more mosquitoes. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, this is really some sick stuff, man. Like, <laughs> it, it, you know, intervening like that in like in the hierarchy of nature, you have no idea. Like, what happens if there are no mosquitoes? I mean, 
other animals depend on them, right? I'm sure there are at least 20 species that depend on eating those mosquitoes. And if mosquitoes are gone, maybe these species will be gone too. Like you don't just do that, but he's already doing it. And he's actually making a ton of money using selling those mosquitoes to third world countries that apparently have a huge problem with malaria and other diseases, which uh, admittedly, these diseases are a big problem, right? But um, I think the approach that, he, that, that he's taking is just uh, completely untested. Not unlike the vaccine, uh, the vaccines for the current immune theater. Uh, but, but long, yeah, go ahead. Just to interject, did you see this article on um, Zero Hedge? I, 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 people have known about this for a long time, but it's the controversial lockdown, lockdown proponent Bill Gates quietly funding plan to dim the sun's race. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Anyways, that's just like another thing to his mosquito um, transmission of, of uh, what was the purpose to for uh, vaccines? To outcompete the fertile mosquitoes and basically like if they don't have mates, like over a few generations, the mosquitoes will all, will, will like all die out or will be like drastically reduced in number. Wasn't it to administer vaccinations though through mosquitoes or something as well? I, I think it has been tried. There okay. was a project. It was something uh, psychotic. It was something really yeah, weird. But yeah, actually it's the CIA had a project in uh-huh. the 60s to infect people with AIDS and other, well, not AIDS, they didn't call it AIDS at the time, but to basically transfer viruses uh, using mosquitoes and infect like uh, enemy armies. They said like mm-hmm. any, it was all done to protect the, the you know, the Americans in the Western world. Um, and I'm sure Mr. Gates got the technology from them. He's not a biotechnologist. And if you look at the company that, that he owns that released all those mosquitoes, I don't think it's their technology either. Mm-hmm. They're just saying that they're using an advanced patent pending technology, which usually means the CAA gave them like a, you know, a free lease on that and it's going to ask for money later. <laughs> Okay, so uh, nothing more on the endotoxin, Black Death. No, I'm uh, oh. like basically, uh, you know, the argument that is the main argument used for the for the lockdowns is that basically, if we don't lock down, we're gonna have tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of people dying, and they're using specifically the 1918 flu uh, pandemic and the Black Death. Mm-hmm. But as this article s- says in passing, because the article really is about a blood biomarker of endotoxin overload, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're saying that the cytokine storms, which endotoxin is known to cause, were actually behind the lethality of the flu pan- of the 1980 flu pandemic and the Black Death. So it's not the pathogens. It's something that happens together with the pathogens that's causing the cytokine storm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the pathogens themselves, at least the virus, has no known mechanism through which it can cause a cytokine storm. Mm-hmm. Something else is doing that, at mm-hmm. least in the viral cases. And that something is endotoxin, right? In the Black Death, which is caused by a bacteria, you can argue that the bacteria itself, because it contains endotoxin in its wall, uh, maybe that's how it's the bacteria itself is causing the cytokine storm. But it has already been ruled out by several different tests. And again, in people with bacterial sepsis, it is known that, you know, if it was the bacteria that was causing this, right, when you administer antibiotics, these people should be okay. But that's not how it works. Basically, once the cytokine storm is um, is, is, is already ongoing, it's like, a, it's like a vicious cycle. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and it amplifies itself with every cycle. So it's something else going on, and that's something they said in that post is, um, the lipopolysaccharide, also known as endotoxin. That is what causes most cytokine storms when you have a severe viral and or bacterial infection. And whether this infection turns into a severe one is determined largely by the energetic state of the cell. Uh, multiple studies have shown 
uh, both older and more recent ones, and I think Ray has cited some of the older ones in his articles, showing that a well-energized lipophilic cell is almost impervious to penetration by most pathogens. So they need something. They need the cell to have an increased membrane permeability, even if you believe in membranes. And that's something, in order for that to happen, that happens when the levels of ATP in the cell drop, the cell structure gets disorganized, and it also leads to basically with the, uh, the potassium and magnesium leaking outside of the cell that also leads to the calcium and sodium coming into the cell, and that creates this energetic crash, and now basically the, the, the cell is open to, to uptake of pretty much anything that's floating in the bloodstream. And if they're pathogens, that's all they need. So the pathogens by themselves, even very lethal ones like rabies, um, Ebola, and whatnot, have been shown to not really be dangerous to healthy cells. Um, and you can make the cells even more impervious to damage or infection by administering a serotonin antagonist. Um, I posted on the forum a study, was, must be at least four, if not even five years ago, showing that cyproheptadine and Benadryl can block fully the infection of cells by uh, HIV, by rabies, by Ebola, and a number of different other ones like a... Uh, what is it called, like dengue fever mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some other acute hemorrhaging fever, viral uh, virus, uh, virus that caused this, th these conditions. And the cells basically became completely immune. The viruses just couldn't get the, the, the cell infected. And that led the, uh, the, the scientists to, uh, to hypothesize that the serotonin receptor 2 is required for viral infection, required. In other words, if you block it or you don't have it, viruses are of, are of no danger to you. Yeah, okay, so you're saying the uh, endotoxin activates this receptor that causes a cytokine TLR4, storm. exactly, yeah. yes. And that reduces yeah. tissue integrity, and that fits in with this alternative view of autoimmunity and just immunity in general. But Polly Matzinger says, when healthy, tissue, uh, when healthy tissues induce tolerance, when distressed, they stimulate inflammatory immunity. And, yes. and so, again, that fits in with your, your whole model that you're talking about, right? So if you activate TLR4, which is what the endotoxin, that's the primary activator, mm -hmm. is, is the endotoxin. Mm -hmm. But also, um, because it's it's not specific for endogenous endotoxin, right? Mm -hmm. Endotoxin meaning inside. So if you get a bacterial infection, most of that bacteria also contains endotoxin. Mm -hmm. And that's the mechanism through which the body... Unfortunately, it's non-selective, and it doesn't have a way of knowing that, oh, is this the endotoxin coming from my own colon slash gut, or is it because of the bacteria that's, that, that came from the outside? But I guess evolution, from the point of view of evolution, it doesn't matter. They're equally bad, right? So it's the activation of TLR4 that triggers an immune response, right? But unfortunately, if if the cytokines, the the, the release of cytokines into the uh, to the bloodstream, if it reaches, if it goes beyond a certain threshold, that is actually a signal <laughs> that that the infection is not under control. So the body releases even more, and and at some point organs start to fail or actually even before the organs, cells start to fail, and then they dump their mitochondria and their genetic material into the bloodstream. And I think we've discussed with you before that this, that basically the fragments of the cell, especially the mitochondrial ones, act indistinguishably on the cellular defense systems as if you had a viral infection or a bacterial infection, and that triggers yet another cytokine response. More cells die, and on and on it goes until eventually... You have a critical multi-organ failure. It doesn't have to be multi-organ. If, you, if your heart fails, right, if your liver fails, you're done. I mean, it doesn't have to be a multi-organ failure, but that's what it usually leads to. Yeah, so uh, 
a person that would be susceptible to those things would already be in ill health. They'd be compromised already. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, there, there, I, I, there are several ways to do that. And um, as much as we've discussed this until people are already blue in the face, the <laughs> NAD to the NADH ratio is actually a very good indicator. The mitochondrial one mm-hmm. is a very good indicator of, of overall cellular metabolic slash energetic status. Now, because it's difficult to measure the, the mitochondrial ratio, um, a better surrogate that um, I should say better, a more a surrogate that's more easily detectable uh, and can be done in blood is the pyruvate to lactate ratio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, this is corroborated by recent studies on the immune theater patients uh, showing that more than 40% of them, by the, the ones that died, at least 40% of them, at the time they got admitted to the, into the hospital, before they even got intubated, before even they got critical, 40% of them already had lactic acidosis. Um, so that means the pyruvate to lactate ratio will be very, very low, mm-hmm. at least 40%. And I suspect it's a lot more. Um, and I think it's basically, it comes down to like, it's not something, it's not a test that's automatically done when you get admitted to the hospital. It's only if the doctors suspect that you basically, that you have a metabolic acidosis. Only then they're going to run the tests. Um, so I suspect it's a lot more. I think it's probably everybody. If you get, in, if you get into a to a point where you need to be in the hospital, there's no way your lactate will be normal. It's just not possible. I mean, if that was the case, you wouldn't be in that energetically decrepit state to require hospitalization. Question that shows my ignorance on everything, but the lactic acid, I know it's causing harm locally, but how is it uh, activating the, the stress systems, like the classical ones? Is it acting directly on the pituitary? Uh, I think it's acting on the adrenals. Mm. Um, There's several studies showing that it can stimulate the release of cortisol Mm. even in the absence of ACTH. Mm -hmm. So it's similar to the polyunsaturated fats. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think another thing that it does is basically lactic acid stimulates lipolysis. Mm -hmm. So so basically you're getting this, this PUFA flooding the bloodstream from the tissues because PUFA gets preferentially stored when you eat it. And then preferentially released when there is a lipolysis, like an event triggering lipolysis, excessive lipolysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then once that PUFA is in the bloodstream, you're getting all kinds of bad things happening. Uh, some of it gets metabolized into the inflammatory mediators, right? Um, basically, uh, whatever non-metabolized PUFA remains synergizes with estrogen, uh, makes the cells more hydrophilic, right? So it increases the susceptibility to infection. It uh, PUFA activates just like lactic acid. It activates the HPA axis. Um, uh, I know that it can directly activate the adrenals, but there's some evidence that the prostaglandins can actually act on the pituitary and release, uh, actually even on the hypothalamus, and get to a point where you re- re- increase the release of both CRH and ACTH. So it's really a, a nasty situation. I mean, it's you only need to take a look at what PUFA is capable of activating in terms of the stress system to know that there's no way in hell uh, like eating these things in, in, in substantial amounts, it can be good for any organism. And then uh, it's displacing carbon dioxide, so it's the messing with your oxygen supply as well, right? Yeah, that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Basically, if your lactic acid is high, this means carbon dioxide is low, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if carbon dioxide is low, I mean, your blood, your hemoglobin saturation, oxygen saturation, maybe 100%, but your tissue oxygenation can get to a point where you're actually in full-blown hypoxia. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that, that's actually been seen. When people with the immune theater disease go to the hospital <laughs> and they already have blue lips, uh, blue nose, blue eyelids, et cetera, blue fingertips, and the doctors put them on oxygen, 
um, they don't improve. And the doctor's like, well, what's going on? So they think it's a lung dysfunction. And there is some of that because serotonin is high. We already know that anti-serotonin drugs help um, control the immune theater. <laughs> but uh, but basically, it's not all about the lungs. It's The lungs are doing their best. But even if they're, you know, even if they're absorbing the oxygen, which has been confirmed because they give these people oxygen to breathe and then they measure the oxygen saturation. And it's if it's 92 or something or like below 90 before admission to the hospital, let's say it jumps to 95 or even higher, yet their condition doesn't improve. They continue to be hypoxic. And doctors are scratching their heads saying like, well, what is going on? Well, lactic acidosis can do that for you, right? Uh, metabolic dysfunction and lack of production of CO2, that can do that to you. A cytokine storm can most certainly do that to you because it attacks every organ, right? So it's really just a, it's basically, it's the amplification of the stress response. Um, and um, there was a um, very similar, actually very similar um, um, stage, very similar developments are seen in people with AIDS when they're about to die from AIDS and people with cancer. Um, the final months of the cancer patient's life when they're becoming really, really cachectic are actually characterized by extreme lipolysis. Um, and several studies came out in the last two, three years showing that blocking lipolysis not only like can actually restore the organism to good health, but in many cases makes the cancers disappear. Um, and most of these studies use the beta blocker drugs like propranolol. It's not the best choice, but it shows you directly that the stress response is involved in, in turning the cancer from a unpleasant and annoying condition into a little one. Um, it's really, that's what, that's what kills most of these people. That's what causes the cachexia. And what uh, strikes me as particularly troubling is that uh, it's shown that before this process starts, there is a very high conversion of white fat into brown fat, which is uh, driven by adrenaline, right? And um, a lot of these gurus now on the internet are recommending cold thermogenesis mm -hmm. for browning your fat because you're going to burn more calories. Well, guess what? It's the same process that kills patients with advanced cancer. I mean, there, there are some cases where they die because the cancer is pressing against the vital organ or ruptures or like, uh, uh, you know, press, presses against the brain or some, some vital system. But in the majority of the cases, they die because of the cachexia. And that cachexia is indistinguishable. It's, yes, a lot more intense, but it's, it's indistinguishable uh, biochemically from the one triggered by the, uh, I mean, the change that's leading to this cachexia is the same as the one seen by this cold thermogenesis and all these other exercises that attempt to turn your white fat into brown. Speaking of detailing the stress response, sugar, sucrose lowers stress-induced cortisol. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you can see my screen, right? I can see your screen, okay, okay. and I actually I got a, a comment on this study on my Twitter because every study that I post on the blog, like a like a, the title and the the, the keywords, the, the tags that I put on it, get posted automatically on Twitter on my Twitter account. And few, I think two or three doctors responded to me, um, saying like, uh, it, "Yes, that's great. It's unfortunate that sugar is getting such a bad reputation. I recommend it to my patients all the time, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So I'm like, "Oh wow, I guess not everything is lost." If you want to make this episode less dark, some <laughs> some doctors <laughs> are still in their right minds. That's good stuff. Uh, good to hear. Lighten up this this dark episode. <laughs> um, what were uh, what other ep uh, articles were you interested in? Let's see. Uh, I put the aromatase inhibitors are estrogenic in the title. Yes, I think, I yeah. think that's actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I mean that kind of uh, um, vindicates Ray. 
uh, uh, in his <laughs> stubborn refusal <laughs> to to uh, to uh, approve of usage of aromatase inhibitors, with the exception, and I will take the credit for this one. Of <laughs> lately, people have been bugging him about examestane, mm -hmm. and he's been saying like, "Yes, I think in uh, cases of severe estrogen dominance, I think trying a few milligrams daily may be highly therapeutic, mm -hmm, right?" Mm -hmm. But he's you know he still cautions with like. I don't think this should be done long term. There's safer ways, but just like using using DHT, which is a strong androgen mm -hmm. and an antiestrogen, mm -hmm. he says that in you know in drastic cases, um, these things can be very very helpful at least to get the system back you know to normal, and then you focus on diet and thyroid and everything else. Um, so unfortunately, um, it looks like uh, uh, some of these aromatase inhibitors, the non-steroidal ones, I want to emphasize because exemestane is actually a steroid. Um, and they're the, the two most famous non-steroidal ones are anastrozole and letrozole. Now, this study says that anastrozole is a very potent agonist of estrogen receptor alpha uh, with about the same affinity as estradiol. So it doesn't get any much worse than that. Um, and actually, they found out that it's at the low dosages, which actually are used clinically, uh, because the typical dosage for an astrozole for a person trying to lower excess estrogen is about one milligram daily. Some people use half a milligram. One milligram is standard. Um, women with advanced estrogen receptor positive breast cancer may use up to two milligrams, get prescribed. At these dosages, are these doses are exactly achieving the concentration range uh, which the study found uh, to be su to be basically uh, um, sufficient for a very potent activation of the estrogen receptor. At higher concentrations, an astrozole actually uh, restored its anti-estrogenic um, effects. I guess the inhibition of aromatase uh, basically balanced the activation of the estrogen receptor. Um, but at lower dosages, the clinically relevant dosages, an astrozole was a very potent estrogen itself. And they're saying letrozole was not. But if you look at the structure of, of those two drugs and the fact that they cause identical side effects, I would be very cautious with letrozole as well. Um, they're they're about the, almost the same the same chemical. Uh, letrozole basically was developed using an astrozole as a starting uh, as a starting uh, structure, but basically they 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 changed the molecule in a way that in, uh, increases its uh, half life. So unlike an astrozole, which you need to take every day or sometimes even twice a day, letrozole is taken twice a week. But the molecule, the structure of the molecule uh, and it's the, the constituents, the actual individual chemical elements are the same between the two molecules. So if you're going to be using aromatase inhibitors, keep that in mind. Um, and it's likely that the steroidal ones like exemestane, formestane, atamestane, uh, progesterone, you know, but, you know, as far as the pharma aromatase inhibitors are concerned, if your doctor is pushing one of those, uh, you'll be better off asking for a steroidal one because um, they have been shown to have anti-estrogenic effects, specifically exemestane, which when you take it, uh, it metabolizes in, in into a steroid that's very similar to the steroid boldenone, which bodybuilders inject with, uh, and it's a potent androgen. Um, so it's not only anti-estrogenic, some of its metabolites are androgenic, and that has an additional beneficial effects in, in cases of estrogen dominance. Um, and that has already that, that uh, knowledge has already exists and has been exploited or at least used by the FDA to approve several strong androgens based on dihydrotestosterone as treatments for uh, breast cancer. Uh, I guess the most famous one is uh, uh, drostanolone, also known as masterone. 
Yeah, this is important because uh, <clears throat> there's like a confabulatory way of people that talk about drugs on the internet and they'll say like, oh, it's anti-serotonin or it's anti-estrogen when it has a multitude of different effects. Yeah. And and, and also... The, I, the, the, th the idea about selectivity is bunk. The, mm -hmm. And the sooner people realize that and, and approach every drug with the idea that it has multitude of effects, mm -hmm. even non-genomic ones. Mm -hmm. In other words, forget about the receptor. Even now, even mainstream medicine now is saying like, oh, uh, we thought that it's only the nuclear receptors that matter. But guess what? We found a bunch of them in, in, the, in the membrane. Mm -hmm. And by the way, even without those, estrogen is somehow still capable of causing cancer. And as there is actually a post on that too. So we may want to... We may want to do that one next. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, after this, do you want to take a uh, video question? Um, sure. But, yeah, let's do the cancer one because that fits right in. Um, okay, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Even non-carcinogenic estrogens can cause yeah. cancer. Uh, and I actually, I had a, um, I had a post about uh, uh, estrogen drives the progression on estrogen receptor negative breast cancer. Uh, I posted it maybe like two months ago and I got like, <laughs> I got several doctors emailing me saying like, lol, lol, right? Like, you know, uh, I'm laughing my ass off. Like this is like, this is like, uh, um, when will medicine learn that the terms that we use are probably dead on arrival. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even by the time we coin something like triple negative breast cancer, we already know it's wrong, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, but anyways, it's it's a similar thing, a similar topic here. Um, somehow Big Pharma, the pharmaceutical industry in tandem with the medical industry, managed to convince people that some estrogens are non-carcinogenic, despite being the, almost the exact same molecule. And the example here that I give is, the regular estrogen that we produce is known as 17-beta estradiol, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But there's another one. It's a very close, uh, it's a structural isomer known as 17-alpha estradiol. And they're saying, oh, yes, it binds and activates the estrogen receptors, but it's, it's it has a potency of only 1% of the regular estradiol, so it cannot possibly be causing cancer. Well, guess what? The study from Columbia University <laughs> back in 2003, because that's what, the studies from 2003 said, nope, actually in the right environment, even the non-estrogenic estrogens are actually perfectly capable of causing the exact same cancers, in this case, kidney cancer, that the regular estrogen was capable of doing. So it's really no substance can be viewed in isolation without taking into account the, the situation of the organism. And the situation in this case was when, estrogen, when the non-carcinogenic estrogen was administered, when oxidative stress, oxidative stress was high, it was just as carcinogenic as the regular one. And what causes oxidative stress? It's not high mitochondrial activity, which is, <laughs> if you remember that post, it's the exact opposite. It's, the blo it's a blockade, usually somewhere along the electron transport chain, but sometimes, even though much more rarely, in the Krebs cycle as well. But it's usually the electron transport chain. So when those electrons have nowhere to go, what do they do? They attack the molecular oxygen and they create all these radicals that basically attack the PUFA in your tissues and all hell breaks loose and you get cancer. Uh, even, even when your doctor has given you the safe estrogen etinyl estradiol, 17 alpha etinyl estradiol, uh, which was used to be used for uh, as a contraceptive, I think it's still used to this day, um, but it, they're trying to phase it out uh, because the Catholic Church is now, now knows that estrogen doesn't prevent contraception but it prevents uh, only implantation. So now they're trying to replace all the estrogen-containing contraceptives with the synthetic progestins, like a, 
a, a single a single drug, only a progestin, um, because they already know it's capable of uh, of of, uh, of acting as a contraceptive. So estrogen, and I think that may be one of the reasons why the medical industry and big pharma is actually now trying to attack. Actually, has been attacking the findings of from the Women Health Initiative study. Um, and now, if you look at the, there are actually ads now on TV starting to advertise and push uh, the the return of estrogen HRT for women, for menopausal women. They're saying, oh, the Women Health Initiative studies, they were poorly designed. They were using very high doses of estrogens. If you use a lower dosage in proper scheduling, uh, estrogen is not carcinogenic. I think somebody should send them that paper from Columbia and tell them to, to like eat it for breakfast or something. <laughs> because <laughs> even a non-carcinogenic estrogen was perfectly carcinogenic in the right slash wrong environment. Great stuff. Okay, let me interject here. Uh, okay, obviously, January 8th today, Georgia Dinkov. Next week, also Georgia Dinkov. And then we'll have Ray on the last Friday of this month. And so if we're still on YouTube, <laughs> we'll, those shows will happen. Um, if anybody has any live stream, I know DLive exists, but I don't really know of any other live streaming platforms. So that's kind of the thing that is not prevalent uh, on on the internet right now, like live streaming formats. I know Rockfin does live streaming. I don't really want to do like a, a paywall or anything, but uh, okay, there it is. And what it was, oh, I was going to do a video question. Do you, uh, let's take one from, I think this is a question from Sam. Can we, let me hide this. Okay. Can you hear this? Hey Danny. Hey Georgie. Yeah. Thanks so much. Okay. Let me just make sure. Did uh, the, you guys hear this <laughs> in the comment section, please confirm. I'm pretty sure you can. Okay. Let me just go. Hey Danny, hey Georgie. Thanks so much for all the content you guys have been providing recently. I've been really enjoying it. My question is in regards to cholesterol, um, specifically blood levels of cholesterol. Um, it seems in the space of functional medicine especially, um, people are under the impression that if your blood cholesterol level gets too low, that it will affect uh, natural androgen production and steroidogenesis. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. There's been a couple of papers I've read recently about it that seem to suggest that um, so long as there wasn't any exogenous um, effect on production, for instance, a statin, if your blood cholesterol levels are naturally low, it does not seem to hamper production um, even when LDL was suppressed to levels of 20 nanograms per deciliter, which is crazy low. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Um, if blood cholesterol levels really do matter and if they can be too low for things like androgen production. Thanks so much. Bye. You rule. Thanks, Sam. Okay. Georgie, what do you think? I, I think it's, I mean, it shouldn't be tested in isolation. So it, it, when you test cholesterol, you should be doing the tests for the other steroids as well. So if your, if your serum levels, if you're male, if your serum levels of testosterone dihydrotestosterone and DHEA are in the normal range, preferably for those three in the upper 25th percentile, um, then it means simply means you're converting the cholesterol properly into downstream hormones. However, if your cholesterol is low and you have a, what they call steroidopenia, which is low steroid levels of even one of those, um, then I think that's a very bad sign. Um, and that's the situation that if it's due to a statin, it should be immediately discontinued and cholesterol levels should be restored. And this is such a fortuitous question 
because just last night I was reading a very long paper on using very simple techniques to distinguish cancer cells from regular cells in the absence of mutations. So first of all, you know, I was surprised to even see such a paper because mainstream medicine says, oh, if a, if a cell is cancerous, there has to be a mutation. Otherwise, it cannot, it's, it cannot be, right? You, you're somehow misdiagnosing it. So first thing, these orders are saying, that's crap. <laughs> you know, the, you have cancer cells. They become cancerous long before they actually start mutating, right? Mm -hmm. But what they found out is this, like, can we look at a structure of a, of a cell and tell just by its structure and its composition um, and different, you know, metrics inside of it, um, uh, whether the cell is cancerous or not, whether the cell is sick or not, right? And what they found out is that uh, single unifying characteristics of every single cancer cell, no matter what cancer type they looked at, was increased membrane fluidity character determined almost almost entirely by lower level of cholesterol in the membrane and and often combined with very high levels of esterified cholesterol in the membrane right so so again so it's like basically the first the ratio of uh, the the amount of total cholesterol in all cancer cells uh, at least in the membrane is drastically lower than, than healthy cells. And they, they actually, they said that this could distinguish, uh, it was it had very high specificity and sensitivity in the upper 90th percentile for both, right? So it's almost like a sure, a very, a very reliable way of diagnosing cancer way before it starts even, you know, overloading with lactic acid, or at least the, the, cell, the cell is about to become cancerous. Uh, and the second thing that is so is basically so low level of free cholesterol and drastically higher levels of hysterified cholesterol. If you remember Ray's newsletter when he talked about that one of the defining features of aging, and by now we know that cancer and aging it's really the same disease, but it you know uh, mani manifests differently and over different time periods. That uh, one of the defining features of uh, aging was drastic decrease in free cholesterol and increase in hysterified cholesterol. So. If your cholesterol is low, I wouldn't call it naturally low. If it's low, I would never test it in isolation. I would test it with all the steroids. And if the cholesterol is low, but all of your steroids are fine, uh, especially for males, testosterone and DHT, because they these are these are uh, indicators primarily of how well your gonads are working. And if the gonads are working well, there is an inverse relationship between gonadal activity and pituitary activity and adrenal, right? And there's also a, a direct correlation between gonadal activity and thyroid. So if the gonads can be used as a surrogate for how well your thyroid is working and whether the stress system is kept under control. So cholesterol is low, androgens high, or you know at least in the upper normal range, then I think things are okay. Cholesterol is low and at least one of these androgens or at least beneficial hormones is low, then I think we have a problem. And, you know, that you need to uh, evaluate what is what is causing that, right? Um, and, uh, and then uh, find ways to raise cholesterol. And, you know, two of the most uh, reliable ways are eating sugar and eating saturated fat. Um, and uh, you can you can also eat uh, foods that contain cholesterol themselves, such as eggs. But even FDA recently, like well, last year, you know, not, not so recently, changed its recommendations on dietary cholesterol, saying dietary cholesterol will not statistically will not affect your blood cholesterol levels in a statistically significant manner. So they're saying um, you can eat anything you want. <laughs> so 50 years of, of dietary recommendations gone out the window in like overnight. Um, so, yeah, you can eat eggs, but I think it's a little bit of a, a misconception that eating eggs will is the best way to raise your cholesterol. The best way is to eat uh, sugars 
and and saturated fat. Remember when Ray said that he thought that people with a, a level of like, um, what's the measurement? Two thousand. Um, let me check my little handy thing right here. Um, what's the oh milligrams per deciliter? He thought two hundred milligrams per deciliter. People were lucky to have that amount because they could safely take thyroid. And so yep. whenever I somebody sends me a cholesterol that's like 120 or 130 or 140, usually in the limited amount of people that I've talked to, they usually have some kind of bowel issue. And then apparently Ray has talked about, um, isn't cholesterol like bind endotoxin in, in some yes. way, shape, or form? Preg- the pregnant too. Mm-hmm. So cholesterol is basically, it's a, it's a uh, cholestane type of hormone. Mm-hmm. But once that fatty acid side chain gets cleaved, mm-hmm. it becomes a pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I have a post that was done not too long ago, maybe three months ago, showing that pregnant steroids, but specifically progesterone and pregnenolone, mm-hmm. can directly bind and deactivate endotoxin. Oh, wow. And I suspect cholesterol can too. Uh, so... So yeah, I have a very simplistic way of looking at it. But if the cholesterol is very low, the, if the sugar didn't work, if like eating a, I think Ray said that calcium and vitamin D were also important, presumably for helping the liver produce cholesterol. And then, yep. and then in a very old interview, I don't know if he still holds this uh, stance, but he said that when a person was taking thyroid, their their cholesterol would go down to one seventy or one eighty, and uh, and that so th- just in again my own use case, I think when I don't take thyroid, my cholesterol hovers at 200 or 210. And then it goes down to that range when I'm taking a grain or two. And so, yeah, I don't know if that's a couple of things that I just remembered. Uh, I think we've discussed this one of the first podcasts that low LDL precedes cancer diagnosis by, by more than a decade. Mm -hmm. So it's almost certainly not a good sign if you have, you know, low cholesterol, you know, uh, unless the the steroid hormones are also at a good level. Mm -hmm. So low cholesterol and low steroids, not a good sign. Right. And also the second thing is because we talked about endotoxin. Now I'm actually certain the cholesterol can deactivate endotoxin because when it, when you have elevated endotoxin, which is done when you drink alcohol, your HDL levels jump and HDL is the protein that transports cholesterol back to the liver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if your LDL doesn't change, but your HDL jumps up, mm-hmm. means something in your body is using the cholesterol for something, mm-hmm. and that, that needs to get transported back to the liver. Mm-hmm. And one of the most, and it's known that endotoxin raises HDL. So I think it doesn't directly prove it, but there are very few other things, especially considering the fact that alcohol raises HDL, but not LDL. And knowing that alcohol is a very good uh, increase in uh, activator of intestinal permeability, which increases the endotoxin in the blood, I think it's pretty plausible to say that cholesterol has some kind of a either a direct deactivating effect or one of its immediate metabolites um, is involved. But if it was a metabolite, then HDL wouldn't jump. HDL only jumps if it has to transport cholesterol back to the liver. Great stuff. Uh, do you want to go over an article? Take another question. Uh, let's, let's do another question. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know which one this is. Let me hide this again. <laughs> okay. Here hey we go. Danny uh, and Georgie. Thanks so much for doing these. I just have a question, um, about like hygiene. And I'm just wondering, I've noticed that a lot of natural tooth brand, uh, toothpaste brands, uh, as well as the conventional ones will have hydrated silica in them. Um, and given that, like, we, like, swallow, like, a little bit uh, each time, um, I'm just wondering, like, kind of, like, what you guys would recommend for keeping your teeth clean uh, on the surface. Thank you. I think that was Ken. Thank you, Ken, for that. I sincerely appreciate it. Georgie, what do you think? 
Um, so it, it, in terms of plaque on the teeth, I've noticed that actually taking things like vitamin K and eating gelatin and in general keeping the gut clean drastically reduces plaque on the teeth to the point where um, some people that I know don't even need to brush them. They do other things like they floss, right, if something gets stuck in between their teeth. But in terms of flushing, uh, uh, in terms of brushing their teeth, um, I think it's it's just an indication of intestinal health. So if you get the intestinal health in order, um, I think this would improve, uh, it would drastically reduce the amount of plaque that needs to be brushed off, right? Uh, and I think this Ray mentioned that a few dentists discovered that it didn't, they needed, they didn't need to treat their patients' periodontal disease anymore mm-hmm. after they put them on laxatives, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so to me, that's a strong indication that the way you teeth look from the outside, in other words, what, what's on top of them, is an indication of intestinal health. Mm-hmm. So, if you handle that, things should improve. In terms of uh, actually killing the bacteria that's causing cavities in the mouth. Um, I think doing like a little bit of a mouthwash with a, a weak uh, methylene blue solution, um, I think that's that's probably the safest you can get. You can add a little bit of xylitol, that non-metabolizable sugar alcohol. Um, it's now very popular for, uh, to be put in chewing gums, but it's drastically expensive when you buy a chewing gum like that. Mm-hmm. So you can buy it, at, you know, by the pound from Amazon or in some other vendors, and you can uh, create like a 5% xylitol solution in water and then add five milligrams of methylene blue per liter or more or less per quart if you want to use the uh, the American slash Canadian because she had a switch of Saskatchewan. Maybe she's in Canada. <laughs> um, so the quart is almost a liter. So you can use basically five milligrams of methylene blue per quart slash liter of that xylitol, 5% xylitol solution. And you can use that to brush your teeth. And that should be good enough. In fact, um, I mean, I know people who've been using that for a few months and, and they used to have bleeding gums, which uh, Listerine actually made that issue worse. But now by using that mouthwash, now they, they their, their gums don't bleed anymore. Now, I'm not sure if that's just directly due to the effect that it has on the gums or maybe they swallow a little and it improves intestinal health as well, because I know that's involved as well. But I know that the mouthwash helped both their, their, their teeth and their gums. I was talking to somebody fairly recently, and I, I think we talked about antibiotics and they took them. And then the next time I got on like Skype with them, they're like, Danny, you know, you should have told me that uh, antibiotics had such a positive effect on the teeth. And I was like, oh, I, for- I just forgot. But they're like, <laughs> but that, that's the thing they really noticed. And I've noticed that. And then um, I know that wasn't necessarily her question of uh, internal things rather than rather cleaning. But um, I, I multiple people since I, I made that video about um uh, implementing raised dietary stuff. And I mentioned antibiotics and I've, I've received a lot of email about people using antibiotics and pe- people saying that it qualmed, uh, teeth problems seems fairly frequent. So that's good stuff. Uh, wh- what do you want, Georgie article question? Uh, let's see. I mean, like, can you expand those articles? Cause, uh, yeah, yeah. the way you, the, it opened up on your screen, I only saw like the last but those six tabs. I can oh, go, to, okay. go to any of them though. I don't, I don't, let's I think see. we went through most of we didn't talk about so the obesity. we we went through those but i think some of the older ones that are not shown on oh, that screen yeah, yeah. Um, i think some uh, like there, there's some interesting ones there too let me just I, should i open the uh log oh, just what, what am i doing um here we go okay so endotoxin so we, behind uh, sugar that, that, i think that's pretty well known 
Uh, I mean, well, let, let's just go Reduce through it very quickly. So people with quantity. obesity, uh, mm-hmm. I was going to go like uh, the first one, the very dumb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People with obesity are known to have a state of chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's been a mystery. And it's actually one of the contributing factors. Well, probably one of the causative, the main causative factors of diabetes and insulin resistance. It's not necessarily the obesity itself. At this point, we have multiple studies showing, confirming the obesity paradox, right? So we know that there are good things. I shouldn't say good, but like the obesity by itself there's some there's strong evidence that it's not enough. There's something else going on, and that something um, is is inflammation. Um, but you know, medicine is like, okay, so what's causing these people's fatty tissue to be inflamed? It makes no sense because the fat that's the even if if you blame the PUFA, the PUFA actually when it's inside the fat cell, it's largely inert, right? It's not getting metabolized into inflammatory materials. What is going on? And they found out that it's basically endotoxin is the major cause. Because when they took mice and they deleted genetically their endotoxin receptor, these mice became just as obese as the the other group that was, both groups were getting fed, uh, fed extremely high diet and low carbs. So another warning for the low carb crowd. Uh, but the mice without TLR4 had almost zero inflammation. And also their insulin sensitivity stayed normal. Um, and they were able to eat glucose. They, so they were obese, but non-diabetic. Uh, they were just like normal mice in all other respects, except the extra weight. So once again, endotoxin uh, basically creates creates this, um, you know, oh, what is it? Oh, endotoxin. Yeah. Uh, uh, just typing in. I, was, I, I, found, I had a paper that said like one of the primary things that endotoxin did was promote lipolysis. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm sorry if you went over it already, but the prom- – Promotion of fat gain, would that just be by shifting the redox balance and causing the synthesis of new fat? Is that how it would cause actual weight gain, synthesis of new uh, fat? I think the main actually effect is that whenever you have chronic inflammation, your cortisol will be chronically high. Mm-hmm. Um, and cortisol is the main, maybe the, the main, followed closely by estrogen. It's it's maybe the main hormone that is responsible for the uh, for the for the creation and storage of fat. So cortisol activates the fatty acid synthase. Cortisol inhibits the glucuronidation of fat by the liver. Mm-hmm. So basically, whatever fat you eat, if it exceeds your calories, the caloric requirements, it will get stored. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it also inhibits the uh, uh, cortisol lowers core body temperature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it will inhibit that uncoupling effect that you know saturated fats have or like thyroid has or uh, hormones like progesterone and other like uh, thermogenic hormones have. Mm-hmm. So it, it will just uh, bring you closer to hibernation, more or less. So, so the endotoxin is more of like an activator of the other things that are causing... Of the stress like, system, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if there's inflammation, the body interprets that as clo- similar. Remember, TLR4 is basically the, the sensor for not just endotoxin, mm-hmm. but it's the non-specific sensor for danger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly infectious danger. Mm-hmm. The body says, oh, something's going on, I'm under attack, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be endotoxin, mm-hmm. could be exotoxin from bacteria that's from the outside, right? Mm-hmm. But in this case, it was endotoxin because once the... Well, they deleted the entire receptor. So, so some people may come back and say, "Well, how do you know this? You know, the, uh, you know, the obesity is not caused by bacteria from the outside." Because I get a lot of hate email for bashing endotoxin, and I'm sure Ray does too, saying like, "Well, okay, okay, we get it, TLR four, but how do you know it's endotoxin primarily causing activating that receptor? Could be something else." And that's actually that's a fair point. But uh, there have been studies that that more or less uh, show that that um, you know. Um, even if it's from the outside, it's uh, it's a it's a relatively minor factor because 
you know, the, um, what was that experiment that I saw? It was all oh, the, the, the caloric restriction. So, so the animals that, are, that do caloric restriction, which drastically reduces their endotoxin, and that's actually the, probably the main, if not the only, beneficial effect, they got, they, they got exposed to like multiple different environments to test for resilience. And some of those, envir- some of those environments were highly bacterial one. Uh, they were exposed to like uh, some pathoge- highly pathogenic bacteria, to see if the animals will get killed qu- more quickly or not. And some of that bacteria was gram-negative bacteria, which is the one that's producing, that's basically mostly responsible for the endotoxin. Mm-hmm. And these animals, even though they were exposed to very high um, concentrations of that bacteria, endotoxin-containing bacteria, exogenously, uh, their weight didn't change. So it's so whatever is happening in terms of inflammation, if, if, if the TLR4 receptor is getting activated and that's causing inflammation, it's in all likelihood it's the endotoxin that we have ourselves, you know, the, the, due to the bacteria that's in our uh, uh, gut. Great stuff. We can wrap it up pretty soon. Uh, IDLabsDC.com. I want to ask you a question about that in a moment. Uh, that's Georgie's supplement company. Uh, no sponsors on this show. You know, <laughs> No money is exchanged uh, between Georgie and I. This is Georgie's deal. He makes the supplements. I appreciate him spending time on here and just uh, for the fun of it and something to do, you know? Um, so Georgie, thank you so much for just repeatedly, uh, providing your time and, and coming here asking for nothing in return. So we appreciate it. Uh, it's I do, my, it's one of my few getaways where I can feel sane, you know, yeah, I really, <laughs> I, did. I live among insane creatures. I said, <laughs> I almost 24 seven. I really did miss not, uh, just doing the stream. These last, what was it? Two, was it two weeks we had off? Yeah, that yeah. was kind of a bummer. So yeah, I, I am. Yeah, very I felt happy like, oh my god, what I'm gonna do on Friday? Yeah. I'm, you know, have you noticed? I don't know if you have you ever been like a big TV person or like you never enjoyed it much. I, when I was younger and when I lived with my parents and stuff, we used to watch TV all the time, and then it just kind of slowly stopped when I moved out. But what were you gonna say? Do you think that's common for people in general? Because I've, I'm, I'm completely turned off by TV now. <laughs> I can't find anything on TV that that catches my attention. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm blackpilled just like you, right? <laughs> uh, let me just. Uh, speaking take your time. of blackpilled. Yeah, yeah. Take your time. Thank you guys. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, I normally ask you to like the episode, but it really doesn't matter. Um, so please uh, go to bitshoot.com slash Roddy and t.me slash Roddy and subscribe on there. Just something so you're following the show and you can get updates if you care. Um, yeah. Georgie, go ahead. Yeah, so I was saying that uh, I've noticed that over the last, I don't know, three, four years, I mean, even things that I used to enjoy, like, you know, most Europeans like to watch soccer and things like that. But now I look at these things, I'm like, this is all for show. It's just like, <laughs> it's just entertainment for the masses. And it's like, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, how, why are 21, 22 people chasing a ball? Why was that interesting before? <laughs> well, remind me if I forget, I do want to ask, right, about, I, I know people have written whole books on this, but how sports conditions people to for yeah. politics and then um, how they think about society and things. It clearly induces some me versus them or puts people on teams. And so that my, my parents never watched sports, so I never watched sports, but I know people who are like fanatical about sports. And I, and I also, I see some, um, they have certain political leanings as well. And they're as equally rabid about their political leanings as they are about their football team. And so I'm like, yeah. Who was the one who said like sports? Sports is the new religion. I mean, th- mm-hmm. that's not actually. I don't think it's even a very recent thing. It's like somebody in the '60s, I think, said that. Mm-hmm. Basically, that now that religion is starting to die, mm-hmm. it has to be replaced by something, or at least society or the powers that be, um, you know, like thought it needs to be replaced by something. And that something was, I think, Hollywood mm-hmm. and and the sports industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Uh, what was I doing here? Um, okay, I was going over Idea Labs. I wanted to ask you a question about that. I do coaching, patreon.com slash Danny Roddy. Uh, Georgie will be with me next week. Again, we'll do another show, and then Ray will be after that. And didn't I have one other thing I wanted to say? Oh, subscribe to the BitChute. And so again, uh, bitchute.com slash Danny Roddy. And then when I post this episode, please leave a comment and you could win a bottle of Tokovit, provided very generously by Georgie Dinkov. Thank you, George. My, my pleasure. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we're, we're running up on uh, 133, so we should probably wrap it up pretty soon. Did you want to take another question? Sure. Okay. I forgot who this was. I'll just play it. Okay. Oh, this is James. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Uh, big shout out to Danny and Georgie. Uh, my name's James. I'm from London. Um, enjoying the virtual get-togethers, particularly the Holy Trinity. That is um, you, Danny, the Bulgarian wizard, and Ray Pete. That's been a long time coming. So, yeah, I'm really thankful for that, guys. A quick question for my dad, 65 years old. Just got his blood test back. Um He's got an elevated white blood cell count, um, which has been consistently happening year on year. Uh, last year, he got referred to a haematologist, uh, where his total white blood cell count was 15.4. Uh, and this year, one high. year later, that's risen uh, again to 18.5. And the doctors made a note on the report saying uh, there's a heterogeneous population of lymphoid cells. Some are showing nucleoli. Uh, the results of this are consistent with lymphocytic leukemia. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to ask Georgie what your thoughts are uh, on the rising white blood cell count, what that's normally indicative of, uh, and what sort of changes I can suggest to my dad, be it supplemental or lifestyle, um, that can that can help with this. Uh, yeah, once again, thanks very much, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that was good stuff. Okay, Georgie, what do you think? Okay, so uh pretty actually pretty simple answer uh and probably pretty simple in terms of uh, interventions. Uh estrogen is the primary driver of bone marrow proliferation and virtually every single one of the blood cancers is known to be driven by high estrogen. Um and there was a um there were a few articles posted recently on the forum um, about a, a, a trend in medicine that tends to view the body as a system. Believe it or not, Ray is not the only one who's who's doing this, but now there's like a few others who are essentially plagiarizing Ray's ideas and <laughs> presenting them as their own. And they're basically saying that you can actually use the red blood cell count and the white blood cell count as very good, reliable surrogates respectively for androgen levels and estrogen levels. And in fact, the RBC to the, y, to the WBC ratio they called it the the uh, the uh, the genital ratio. Like uh, I don't know why genital instead of just androgenic. But basically, I would test the the your, his dad's prolactin, um, and po if possible, the estrone sulfate. But uh, chances are that, especially considering the age um, and the fact that most men beyond the age of 45 are already suffering from estrogen dominance, even if their blood tests are you know re showing relatively normal, um, I would test that. Um, and basically, um, you know, pretty much anything uh, that lowers estrogen should be highly therapeutic. Um, there was a recent uh, study that showed immediate uh, and permanent remission 
of a person with, I think, the exact same condition, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, uh, I'm sorry, acute lymphocytic leukemia, uh, that got treated with the um, abortion pill, uh, abortion drug, RU486, which, aside from the fact that it's a cortisol antagonist, recent studies have shown that it's also an estrogen antagonist as well. So instead of going to that drug, which tends to have side effects, I think something like higher dosage progesterone, um, and I would say I would stick to progesterone only initially, um, higher dosage progesterone, and if necessary, maybe even like one of the aromatase inhibitors that we discussed earlier, um, should be able to bring this under control. Um, aspirin, vitamin E, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin K, all of these are other anti-estrogenic interventions. Keeping excessive lipolysis at bay is also very important because if the if, if his dad has primarily PUFA stored in the tissues, which is what most people do, especially with advancing age, whenever there is lipolysis, there's PUFA flooding the bloodstream, and it's it's basically synergizing with estrogen very powerfully. And PUFA by itself is known that overfeeding PUFA tends to cause primarily blood cancers, and I think that's a you know very good testament to their estrogenic effects. Um, so good news is, in in many cases, can actually be very quickly brought under control and even permanently cured, as they said in this in this case report. And in fact, because of the role of estrogen, cortisol, uh, estrogen and cortisol in cancers, now RU486 is uh, may get an orphan drug designation by the FDA. Because it uh, it has been shown, and I have uh, a post on that on my blog from about three weeks ago, shown that it can actually cure terminal lung cancers, liver cancers, brain cancers, and people are saying, like, how is that possible? Well, that's what cortisol and excess lipolysis and excess estrogen does to you. So anti-estrogenic chemicals like RU486, but more safely, uh, you know, things like progesterone, maybe examestin, aspirin, and all the fat-soluble vitamins, uh, and avoiding PUFA, of course. Um, I think this is a much much safer intervention should, and should have the same effects, if not even better. Awesome. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, James. Thanks, Georgie. Want to do one more question and then yeah. call it a night? Okay. We have a few more questions. Uh, uh, people that sent them in will definitely get to them, but um, we ha- yeah, we have a, f- a few extras. Okay, let me hide this. And I forgot who this question was. I think it was Raphael. Hi, Danny. Hi, hi, Dutz. <laughs> um, Metagolin rocks, by the way. Fucking love it. I'm... Oh, Krista. Wanted to know uh, if you could um, advise me on what to do. I have a friend who is on clonazepam, the benzodiapine, to help her with uh, panic attacks. And I would like to help her to get out of it. Is there any protocol you recommend? Anything that could help to wean her off this? Maybe replace it with something a bit less dangerous, but that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Georgie, what do you think? So clonazepam, also commercially known as clonopin, is perhaps the most uh, addictive, profitable, and dangerous drug currently in use in psychiatry. It's it's even among psychiatrists known as a dirty drug. Clonopin was kind Uh, of safe, no? Uh, clonopin is a benzodiazepine, oh, I- but it's very potent. Uh-huh. Am I mixing up? And what did he say? <laughs> I think he said he said clonazepam. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Clonazepam is the is just the farm um, the ge- generic name oh. for clonopin. Clonopin is the trademark or like the the way it's it's being marketed. Uh, but clonazepam, if you say clonazepam, most, the doctors will know what you're talking about. It's the actual chemical. So it's a 
Clona Zepam, so it's a it's a benzodiazepine, and it's just stronger uh, with a longer half life and much more addictive um, compared to the older benzodiazepines such as Valium and and Xanax. Uh, and it was created for only one reason because the patent on those drugs expired, and they wanted something that would hook people for life um, and basically would make it almost impossible to withdraw from. Mm-hmm. Well. Don't get discouraged. It's very possible to withdraw from it. Um, and you can actually, if you you can Google and say clonazepam, withdraw, uh, clonazepam diazepam substitution uh, or clonazepam valium substitution, it will give you like a, a very specific protocol how you can start t- tapering off the clonazepam dosage and replacing it slowly, little by little, with valium or, or another, di- another benzodiazepine that doesn't, basically it's a, uh, it will have the same effects, but it will be like uh, uh, the 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 effects will be uh, uh, more short lived. Like uh, will be like uh, the the half life of the other benzodiazepines is shorter, uh, which actually makes them safer. Ironically, so it's not a problem to take a pill several times a day. I actually view it as a problem to take a pill and then not having to take it for several more days. That's a problem. It means like this drug was specifically engineered to resist the metabolizing enzymes in your liver and various other organs. And their primary purpose is to protect you from these from, from chemicals like that. So it is possible to replace clonazepam with any of the other benzodiazepines approved. But more importantly, um, multiple animal studies, unfortunately not many human ones, show that progesterone can fully substitute for any of the benzodiazepines. And since from what I heard like uh, from the recording, his friend is a girl, it makes even more sense to try the progesterone route and... If he doesn't want to do the hormones, niacinamide is a known ligand for the benzodiazepine receptor. And I think it's pretty safe, even at very high dosages, up to three grams daily in adults has been shown to have zero side effects. I know Ray likes dosages that are drastically lower than that, but uh, those lower dosages don't have the benzodiazepine effects. In order to get those effects, you need maybe 500 milligrams once or twice uh, a day. And in fact, if you type niacinamide anxiety, you'll find several case studies where doctors have reported how their patients have managed to completely wean themselves off of the benzodiazepine drugs and switch completely over to niacinamide, which is non-addictive, has the exact same effects. And guess what? It improves your improves the energy metabolism in the brain, and it, which has been shown as early as the 1960s that if you raise carbon dioxide and lower lactic acid, you can actually cure for good really very severe psychiatric disorders. They did it with vitamin B1, thiamine, either on its own or in combination with acetazolamide. But the study says that the main effect was the raising of carbon dioxide and the lowering of lactic acid because lactic acid is the primary trigger of anxiety, one of the primary triggers. Cortisol is another one and serotonin is a third one, right? But if you lower lactic acid, and simultaneously improve the energetic, the production of energy in the brain, which is what niacinamide will do by raising the NAD to the NADH ratio, I think you may have like a clear winner there and she may not even need to, uh, to you know, um, try the hormones like progesterone, which by the way, I think it's a fair, relatively safe option, especially considering that it's a girl, but you know, I would try the niacinamide first. I think it's no brainer considering that it works exactly like those drugs without the addiction and with the added benefit of lowering inflammation, improving the energetic status, uh, and in general, just, you know, keeping, um, uh, you know, uh, it actually has an anti-serotonin effect as well at higher dosage, which I think helps 
uh, because serotonin is also known to be involved in anxiety. Give us a quick ID Labs update, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Oh, um, uh, not much new. Oh, except I found a, a chemical which was researched extensively in the '60s, and it seems to be relatively easily synthesizable. And it's a very potent serotonin antagonist comparable to LSD. Now, I don't know if I should say that it's comparable to LSD, but that's what the study did. And I can uh, I can give the name um, on the show because it's uh, it's not a controlled chemical. And if people manage to find it themselves, you know, um, all power to those people. You can try it out. I've already tried it. It does. It has it has a remarkably strong anti-serotonin effect. The name of the chemical is 10-methoxyharmalan. So if you type it in Google, maybe you can do that so that you can see it. Uh, the paper will come up, which basically describes the potent anti-serotonin effects. And unlike LSD, it's non-hallucinogenic. Um, so I'm thinking of releasing that as a as a separate product. Uh, and that may actually happen before we manage to release the fatty acid oxidation inhibitor, um, which, by the way, is still in testing. And unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, it's getting delayed because the chemical is already synthesized. But before we release it, I want to do extensive chronic toxicity studies, the acute ones already demonstrated that it's even less toxic than meldonium. Um, so, but you know, you have to do both acute and chronic toxicity. And for a, a, a chronic toxicity, you need at least a month of administration of a relatively high dosage. And right now, with, with I'm trying to do this in either Bulgaria or Taiwan. The Taiwanese lab has shut down for some reason. They refused to do this test and Bulgaria is under lockdown. So until they reopen, it's difficult to do chronic toxicity. The acute toxicity is already done, like I said, less toxic than meldonium, you know, but, you know, I cannot release it until we we get some, you know, information on chronic toxicity as well. And I asked Ray about a year ago, you know, just as I started uh, synthesizing it, and he, he had uh, very similar advice. He said that the molecule looks fine. He doesn't expect it to be toxic, but he wants to see some rodent studies on chronic toxicity. So... I will heed his word and uh, play it safe. Uh, so the first product that you'll probably see in the next couple of months will be that serotonin antagonist. Let's talk about it more next week because we're okay. back. Okay, so let me just thank these sticker people. Um, Fab for so, – um, I don't, won't even say the amounts because I don't even – it's 10 euros maybe. Fab, thank you so much. Michael for $50. Holy smokes. Thank you so much, Michael. Sincerely appreciate that. Thank you. KT for nine ninety nine. Sincerely appreciate that. Thank you, KT. Uh, Linda Bell for $5. Thank you, Linda. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, Michelle for $10. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, Marcelo for $20. Thank you, Marcelo. Sincerely appreciate it. Kana with uh, 1,220 yen. Thank you, Kana. You guys are amazing. Sincerely appreciate it. That really does help, you know, so so thank you. Um, uh, let me just run through these last things. Okay, to uh, uh, <laughs> uh, do the Tokovit ID Labs giveaway, go to uh, bitshoot.com slash Roddy. Leave a comment on this episode. I will upload it very soon. I'll do the timestamps. I'll stay up and I'll do the timestamps. And then you can comment on this episode on BitChute and you can be entered in the Tokovit giveaway. And then D-A-N-I-M-A-T-I-V is the winner for this uh, week. And thank you for that. Georgie. And I, w I wanted to throw in something in there. I know we said no international participants. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank I'm you willing for to that. do. No, no, no. Actually, I'm willing now to do the international participants as long as you're okay with us sending it with the regular mail, okay. which may get a little bit delayed, but so far we haven't had lost packages. Okay. So if you're okay with that, no need to pay for the for the shipping. Okay. Thank um, I totally only that. Only if you want express shipping like DHO or something like that. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Um, parting words. 
What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> it started dark, became less dark as we go along. So, I mean, there's a, I don't think anybody, any entity fully controls the world or any specific situation. Um, and we have plenty of evidence that the powers that be are not particularly bright. Uh, they're dropping like flies left and right, even with the best of the best medical care, as Ray keeps saying. Um, so um, I don't know. Um, this transhumanism is not going to work. It may destroy a good portion of the earth and, and its population with it, but there is no way this can work. It's just not biochemically, biologically, and even if you want spiritually and religiously possible. Ray Kurzweil's predictions, uh, I don't know how many of your listeners know about him. He is this transhumanist. He's the, the, the mouthpiece of the transhumanists. He wrote this book, uh, the, I think it's called The Singularity. Mm -hmm. um, must have been like at least 10 years ago, if not more. Um, there was a recent expose in the Wired magazine about his book, and they concluded that it was a complete bust. <laughs> almost, not almost, nothing in those predictions came even close. And his big bet was on artificial intelligence. And now they're actually already starting to talk about a new AI winter. And that that is a term that's used in computer science because there was a very high, there were very high hopes for artificial intelligence back in the 50s and 60s. Then it turned out that it's really not all that it's cranked out to be. And then there was an AI winter, no funding, no developments, right? And now I think this, I think basically that's that's actually the plan of the powers that be, like to let the public forget about how bad an idea is, and every few decades reintroduce it in new clothes and then get the public to pay for it and then again fail miserably and then retreat and then you know wait a few decades and so on so nothing's going to come out of artificial intelligence it is impossible in order for intelligence and consciousness cannot be separated from each other um so you know you cannot have an intelligent fully intelligent machine without that machine also being conscious that idea that you can manipulate empty abstract informational patterns and somehow derive new knowledge has already been proven to be mathematically impossible. Um, and um, the only thing that can come out of this is, unfortunately, some suffering for a lot of innocent people. But at least the end, in the end, you know that this cannot work out, which to me would have been really scary if this was actually a viable idea. Uh, because then I think the powers that be would have been actually even more aggressive into pushing it. And now they're, I guess they're seeing that, hey, we've spent the last hundred years trying to live forever. And guess what? The life expectancy, the maximum life expectancy has not moved up an inch, even for the richest and most powerful. Um, so that to me is actually very good news. Straight from the source. Thank you, Georgie Dinkov. Friday, January 15th, 6 p.m. PST. And then the Friday after that, uh, Raymond Pete. Thank you, Georgie. You make these shows special. Appreciate you. You're the best partner on the planet. Thank you to the audience. You know, we have a small but very active audience. Very, um, uh, very fortunate to have people that watch our show. You know, that's what makes these so fun. So thank you guys so much for making that possible. Thank you for the sticker donations. That also helps a lot. Thank you so much. Again, Georgie, thank you. I'll see you next week. And thanks, everybody. Yep. Take care. Stay sane. <laughs>